Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastore led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. And welcome to this week's very special Bad With Money episode, all about your pets and pet insurance. I'm Gabby Dunn. This is a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. You all wrote in with some wild stories of spending on your animals. And so the guest this week is you, my listeners. We've never done an episode like this before, so I'm very excited to share all of your stories. For the past month or so, I've been entreating you, begging, asking, pleading, please call right in with your experiences. And now we're going to do a whole episode about our furry and scaly and hairy friends, mostly based on the fact that I have a darling little chihuahua named Beans, um, and he is so small and costs me so much money. And I say that to his face. I hold him in my hands and I go, you are so little and cost me so much money. So we're going to read your emails and play your voicemails all about pets and pet insurance. So first, here's an email from Ren. Hey, Gabby. Been listening to Bad With Money since season one, episode three. And you've really helped me have a healthier relationship with all things financial. I adopted my cat hen November 4th, 2021, the day after his sixth birthday. I'm disabled and black and queer trans, etc., and it was and is important to me to find an animal friend who had conditions that would make them a quote-unquote less desirable fit for mainstream folks. I'm Hen's third animal guardian, and he'd been in foster care since the summer. 
Aside from this, one of the main reasons I wanted to adopt him is because he's deaf. He also has a serious bladder condition and develops urine crystals. Oh, poor hen. He will be on a prescription diet for the rest of his life. The adoption process was smooth. I paid, was given a bag of his food and medication, packed him in a crate, and left. Fast forward to now, and I've spent more than 4000 US dollars on this old man. His vet appointments, emergency tooth extraction, medication, special foods, $65 for a five-pound bag, bougie litter, bougie treats, supplements, probiotics, pet insurance, and the toys, beds, and other memorabilia he won't even deign to look at. I'd like to mention here that I have Medicaid through the state, and I don't even take a multivitamin. Now that summer is approaching in Seattle, I'm planning to buy either an air cooler or huge freezer safe gel pack to ensure he stays cool. With the amount of research I've done for all things cat-related, I should be halfway through a master's program. He is an official money sink, a time and energy sink, and high-key seems pretty ungrateful. But he purrs when he sees me, sleeps next to my head at night, and sometimes lets me pet him without batting my hand away. I'm in love with this crabby old man. If I could go back, I would have planned and saved more money and probably gotten a second job sooner. Needless to say, this has been a lesson in love, finances, and improving my reflexes so I don't get scratched. And yes, I'm totally planning to adopt another cat, but I'll need to have 5k in my cat's savings account first. Best wishes to you and yours, warmly, Ren. That is what I hear from a lot of people who have cats. Like, I feel like they take care of their cats better than they take care of themselves. Um, And a lot of us do that. We spend so much money on our pets that we wouldn't spend on our own health. But cats especially, I feel like don't don't give back the love that you give to them. But maybe that's part of why people love cats, because you have to work for it. And um, And the people I know that are cat people seem to really feel a lot of joy when the cat does acknowledge them and provide affection, and also a lot of reverence for the cat's independence. And that's a type of person. Okay, this is an email from Swetha, and it says... Hi, Gabby. Enjoy your podcast, your humor, and all of the helpful money-related information and tips you always share. Thank you for what you do. So just heard the two asks that you recently made to your listeners, and I can definitely answer the one on spending money on pets. I am one of the pandemic adoption stories and adopted my fur babe in the fall of 2020. He's a little two-and-a-half-year-old doggo. He weighs about 15 pounds. We think he's a mix of Dachshund Chihuahua and Jack Russell Terrier. He was found by a local business owner roaming on a busy road in front of the guy's business, all by his tiny self. It's an absolute miracle that he did not get hit by a car or truck and that he's alive. So with this background, needless to say, he completely has my heart. And I go a bit overboard in giving to him because I want him to have a really good life. And I want him to know he's wanted and he's special and that he will never be roaming the streets alone again. Oh, this is so cute. Before adopting him, I thought I would need about maybe $1,000 to $2,000 annually to have a pet. That's a big ha! In reality, here's a window to what spending on him looks like. Fixed. $2,400 annually for his doggy daycare. He goes once a week. Or about $200 monthly. $1,200 annually for miscellaneous expenses. This covers food, treats, collars, toys, etc. Or about $100 monthly. $450 for annual vet checkups and vaccines. $400 annually for meds, heart guard, next guard. $4,500 total rounded up. Approximate fluid expenses. 
$1,500 for annual dog sitting fees when I travel. He stays with a rover sitter about four to five times a year, and each time it costs me around $250 to $300. $1,500 for annual unplanned vet appointments. He usually ends up at the vet two or three times a year for unplanned vet visits. He just had a vet visit in January for a bacterial infection, and that was a whopping $1,000 bill. Total, $3,000. So there you have it. On average, I spend around $7,500 a year for my dog. The biggest pain points are the surprise vet visits and the dog sitting fees. My initial guess that I would only spend $1,000 to $2,000 was totally naive and completely off. Nonetheless, even though he is expensive AF to keep around, I would not change a thing and I love him to pieces and all the money that I hemorrhage on him is completely worth it. Sorry for the very long and detailed email. You asked and you got my answer. Haha, ha, thanks, Swetha. Yeah, don't apologize for the uh, very detailed breakdown. That is exactly what I wanted. This is the type of thing where if you are thinking of getting a pet, you really need to think about these things. Um, and so thank you for sending in these numbers and showing just how big they can be for one animal. Because I think a lot of people get dogs or cats or, or any kind of pet and they don't think it through. Uh, or they underestimate how much it's going to cost. So not to say you shouldn't adopt a dog or adopt a cat or a lizard or whatever you want, but we're going to get into some real nitty-gritty costs here today, and that's what I'm hoping to do. I'm hoping to inform all of you. So thank you for that, Swetha. This is an email from Darcy. Hi, Gabby. Love the podcast and deeply appreciate you and your thoughtfulness as you approach all things finance and feelings. My name is Darcy, and I'm in Canada. For the sake of this one, you should know that I am femme presenting and look very young. In this story, I was in my early 20s, but probably didn't look it. I think that perception plays a lot into how I was treated here. My parents went out of town and I was watching our family dog like I always do. She had an allergic reaction to eating a bee and her throat started to swell. So I took her to the vet. No breathing trouble yet, but she was super distressed. Someone I hadn't met before was covering for our regular vet and she took one look at me and said she wouldn't treat Zyla, my dog, without my parents' approval since they are the listed owners. Oh my god, she ate a bee. Help the dog. Okay, back to Darcy. It was 4 a.m. where my parents were traveling and I wasn't sure I could get them on the phone. I tried pulling out ID to prove I shared a last name and address with the dog, but even that wouldn't do it. I got lucky that my mom's a light sleeper and woke up with my second phone call, but it was super stressful to be waiting while my dog got worse and worse to get care. In hindsight, I do think eventually the desk staff would have pushed us through since they'd all met me before, but they were deferring to the doctor at this point. Zyla got some meds and felt much better. After that, we made sure that not only is my name and phone number all over my dog's file, but every person who might be in a decision-making position is listed somewhere in the vet's file. In this case, they have six names and phone numbers listed with approval to make decisions about medication and tests, but only the owners, my parents, can make a final decision about end-of-life care. I recommend doing the same thing and making notes about who can't make decisions too. My in-laws will never, ever get permission to make pet care decisions. Ooh, what's the tea there, Darcy? Anyway, it's a small thing but can be a big relief in stressful situations and speed up care. Thanks again, Gabby, for all your hard work on this show and for thinking about our furry, scaly, and feathered loved ones too, Darcy. Yes, big. This is a huge deal. And put multiple phone numbers down. Um, because sometimes they can't reach my partner or they can't reach me and they have to get to the other one um, in terms of stuff that's going on with my dog. So yes, put all the phone numbers down. I can't believe they wouldn't just help a dog who ate a bee. Like from what I see on uh, cute pictures of dogs, that seems to happen quite often. <laughs> 
just Google dog who ate a bee. It's the there. It's so cute and so sad, but so cute, but so sad. Um, okay, here's an email from Stevie. Hello, Gabby. In April, I took my only feline child, Hope the Tiger, in for her annual veterinarian appointment. The appointment itself, which included blood work, fecal sampling, and urinalysis, cost me $441. This does not include her annual rabies vaccine or other shots, and it does not include follow-up vet phone calls as well as a blood pressure technician appointment. Because my small cat had lost over a pound and her blood work indicated kidney disease, an ultrasound was indicated. I took my sweet kitty to an ultrasound clinic where I ended up spending $1,004 for the abdominal ultrasound and a biopsy of her spleen to rule out lymphoma and another cancer. Our total so far is well over $1,600. Because she's a bit young for kidney disease, the vet also thinks there could be something additionally going on and recommends that I take my only child to an internal medicine vet. Also, the cost of her food went up overnight because dry food's not good for kidney disease. I hope this will comfort another feline lover struggling with vet bills. Thanks, Gabby. I truly love your show and thought the episode with Koa Beck was particularly good. I, first of all, love how much you refer to Hope as your feline child, your only child, your sweet kitty. The the ways in which this cat became more and more dear to you as the email went on was (laughs) really um, adorable. Yes, so I actually ended up just taking my dog, Beans, who's a little chihuahua, as I've mentioned. Um, I ended up taking him to the vet because I thought that he had uh, a rash on his penis. This is the type of thing that happens when you have a dog. You have to think about rashes on their penises. And um, it ended up that he had a UTI. And they had to do all this stuff to show me an ultrasound that he had a UTI. And he had to take all these meds. And the whole thing cost me $600. Just in one day. Just a quick $600 that I absolutely did not have. So, yeah, I feel you. I feel you, Stevie. That happens so fast when they don't know what's going on and they want to test for a bunch of things. There's the money. It's just flying out the window. (laughs) Okay, this is an email from Madeline about horses. Hi, Gabby. I heard you wanted pet letters, so here we go. I grew up riding horses, but didn't buy my own until finishing grad school and finding full-time work. My horse is one of my greatest joys, but she's a terrible investment. Here are our monthly expenses. Board, $525. Training, $180. Hoof care, $45. Medications, $100. Prepaid preventative health care plan, $40. There are also vitamins I order more sporadically, grooming supplies, and one-time needs that have to be replaced periodically like riding equipment, clothes for me, and weather protection for the horse. As a social worker, this wouldn't be possible without my husband taking on most of the expenses for other stuff. I also don't really spend money on any other entertainment like concerts or movies. I don't know if that was too much info, but I tell all the younger writers I interact with absolutely not to buy their own horse until after college. Of course, everyone knows that. That's like basically like, you know, wash your hands, uh, make sure to change your air filter, don't buy your own horse until after college, classic stuff. Anyway, back to Madeline. It's a huge financial burden, but also socially, as she requires several hours long visits a week. Daily feeding is taken care of by barn staff. And she strongly affects where I would choose to live. An older horse doesn't have much resale value, so she's basically a black hole. So it's not that I wouldn't recommend them, but I'd say people need to be very sure before taking on a horse as a pet. I know it's probably too niche, but I'd die of happiness if you did a horse episode. Much love, Madeline. 
Well, Madeline, you got your wish because we're talking about horses. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a whole episode, but um, I actually am somewhere where I'm going to try to take riding lessons in the next couple weeks. I'm pretty excited. Uh, this is something that maybe you guys don't know about me, and why would you? Because it's never come up. Uh, but I'm actually pretty good at riding horses. I grew up doing it, not in any sort of like cool dressage fancy way but just in a sort of my dad threw a four-year-old on the back of a horse at the circle f ranch in florida way uh and so i'm actually pretty talented on a horse not to brag um but i'm looking to take one on a trail soon and yes i do love horses i love them and i fear them and i think that's the exact right place to be with horses okay uh so this is the voicemail about exotic animal insurance it might be a bit long, but we're going to cut it down. So I'm sorry to the person who left this voicemail, but um, you guys are going to just get the gist of it uh, here now. Hey, Gabby. This is Kate again. She, her in Long Beach. As far as I know, Nationwide is the only U.S. pet insurance brand for exotics. And exotic animals include rodents like rats and guinea pigs. I had a pet rat growing up. A vet who's good for cats and dogs is not necessarily any good for rodents. I freaking love rats and encourage everyone to get rats, pet rats, um, adopted pet rats. Shout out to LA Guinea Pig Rescue, great place to get guinea pigs if you're in LA. Rats and guinea pigs are both um, prone to various health issues, and so that's a reason to definitely get health insurance. It's about $20 per guinea pig per month, which is like $240 a year per guinea pig. And... And that kind of sounds like a lot, but I think people forget that medical care for pets is really not significantly less expensive than medical care for humans. I'm just not sold on this advice of oh, you could put that $240 into a savings account instead. Maybe that math works out for longer lived animals like dogs most of the time, but you never know. And for shorter lived animals, like rats only live, sadly, like two to three years on average. So they'll often end up having health problems. So in that case, the economics are pretty obvious that you're going to make your money back because um, you're probably only going to have like a year of minimal or no vet expenses. Another tip is that cost of procedures can vary by literally thousands of dollars. It's especially worth it for first-time exotics owners because there's a steep learning curve. But yeah, my rats both had um, the common sorts of chronic conditions rats tend to get. Um, one had a chronic respiratory disease and the other started getting tumors. Without the insurance, it would have been so many thousands of dollars. So, so many. I mean, I think, you know, six six figures, like 10000 20000 <laughs> I mean, a lot. Now, the pet insurance does unfortunately have maximums for a single issue, but Nationwide's exotic pet insurance has a maximum per issue. You also do have to pay upfront and then submit the form for reimbursement. But the one other thing I'll add is that I highly recommend being strategic in how you categorize any medical procedures you're paying for with your um, insurance. I mean, I'm not suggesting that you lie, but the coverage is separated into illness and procedure. Oftentimes, the procedure could potentially be put into more than one category. And another thing is that they do exclude pre-existing conditions. So it's tempting to hold things off until the pet is older and more likely to have higher expenses. But, you know, that could 
backfire because any chronic condition is going to be the most expensive possible thing. And so if he already has a chronic condition when you go, um, that's going to be a problem. Of course, again, I'm not encouraging anyone to lie or scam. Although I know we love scams on this show, but I will just say that the chances of them ever being able to cross-check whether the pet has um, a pre-existing condition is extremely low. And let's be real, pre-existing conditions, exclusions are highly problematic anyway. So I don't know if we'd be scamming them or if they're scamming us. Thank you. Love the show. Sorry for my complete inability to be brief. Thank you so much for your voicemail. I'm sorry we had to cut it short, but I do agree. The the biggest, the the saddest thing that could happen in regards to a pet is having to make a decision for their life based on your own finances. I don't begrudge anyone who's done it. I I just feel so much sorrow and empathy. Um, you know, my partner jokes that they would pay $1 million to keep beans alive, but, but that we've never been faced with that. And, um, and so I think that is absolutely something that you should think about when it comes to, uh, getting a pet. I don't want to accuse vets of overpricing things, but sometimes I do find it strange that, the care for an an animal would be so expensive on par with like a human being having cancer or something. Like, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a healthcare expert. I just wonder sometimes if, if it's exploitative of people's emotions around their pets. But I don't know. That's, again, like, you know, we dwell in conspiracy corner sometimes uh, here. And that's just something that it made me think of. Also... On a, a better note, um, I grew up with a pet rat. Well, I had one for a couple years named Midnight. And uh, he was a great pet. And uh, yes, they do only live a couple years. We had a lot of hamsters and guinea pigs and stuff like that when I was growing up. But um, yeah, Midnight the rat. And I always say, you know, when you're a kid, there's horse girls. And then there's me, rat girl at the time. And if you were also a rat girl, please write in. We're a rare breed. Okay, this is an email from Carrie, and it says, Hi, Gabby. I wanted to write in about pet costs. My husband and I had an older dog with health issues, so we knew her time was ending, and in theory, were emotionally prepared. In the end, when she started to have a steeper decline, we brought her to the vet, and they referred us to an emergency vet. The emergency vet encouraged us to spend $1,500 to stabilize her instead of putting her to sleep. But based on her medical issues, it was uncertain if she would have five days or five weeks after that. I was against this, not necessarily for the money, but also to not put her through the stress and pain of her medical condition any longer. My husband, however, handed over the credit card without a second thought, as he was not prepared to say goodbye. We ended up having nine more days with her, and she died in more discomfort than she previously had been in. I'm still not happy about spending that much money when it wasn't even in my dog's best interests. 
So long story short, if you have a partner and a pet, make sure you're both on the same page as far as medical treatment, what costs you can bear, and when they are appropriate and when you need to say goodbye. Because when emotions are high, you don't want to have to fight with your husband in front of the vet and the vet tech and end up spending $1,500 that you had set aside in case your 20-year-old water heater dies less than a month later. I'm assuming that very specific scenario is what happened to you, Carrie. Sorry for the downer of an email, Carrie. Not a downer, piggybacking right off the voicemail. Um, This is something that you and your partner should absolutely talk about. So yes, this email just puts a little, bing, little fine point on the uh, voicemail that we just heard. This email is from Katie, and it says, Hi, Gabby. An often under-discussed topic with dog finances is behavioral challenges. Oh, I'm so glad to get into this. Let's talk about this. Apologies in advance for the long email ahead, but I think it's an important discussion. No apologies needed, Katie. This is a, a very important topic, and I'm glad we're getting into it here. Whether someone is adopting or getting a puppy from a breeder, prospective dog guardians should be asking as many questions as possible about the dog's temperament and potential problem behaviors. And for puppies, they should ask about the parent's temperament, what has been done for early socialization, and even stress during pregnancy in addition to physical health. If adopting, foster-based rescues will usually be able to provide better info about temperament than shelters. And not all breeders are responsible with how they choose to breed and whether they do proper early socialization. Puppies aren't blank slates. Asking questions doesn't completely rule out the possibility that a dog you bring home will have behavior challenges, but it does reduce it. I say this because I absolutely adore my dog and he's so easy to live with 98% of the time, but I wasn't fully prepared for his challenging behaviors when we got him. He's reactive to several things we encounter on daily walks, meaning he barks, lunges, and may even bite another animal or person if he's afraid. To many folks, this looks like aggression, but it's really his fight, flight, freeze, fawn response going to fight. And he has separation anxiety, so he can bark, howl, pee, and destroy things if left alone too long, which is especially troubling when you share walls with neighbors. Some separation anxiety dogs even chew through crates and walls and break through windows. He also has a high prey drive or a strong instinct to hunt cats and other small animals. Financially, these behavior problems are expensive. First, the reactivity and prey drive could potentially open us up to medical bills and lawsuits if he bites a person or pet. We do everything we can to prevent that, but other neighborhood people and animals are frequently irresponsible and unpredictable. Second, these behavior problems often require professional help to address. We're working with a fantastic trainer for positive reinforcement behavior modification and with a wonderful veterinary behaviorist slash pet psychiatrist. Wow, you're you're really doing the work. You're really, oh, you'd say your dog, my dog is really putting in the work. But I think you are too because you're being a very conscientious owner. Anyway, uh, Katie says, The dog is making great progress and our team is worth every penny, but they're highly skilled and educated and they charge appropriately. His fear is a pre-existing condition, so none of this care is covered by pet insurance. Few pet insurance providers even cover behavioral care. I'm very lucky I'm in a position to afford the help my dog needs, but not everyone is. And a very sad consequence of this is that some dogs end up back at the shelter because their people can't handle it, or they can end up being euthanized. Either thing can still happen, even if someone does get appropriate help, because fear and instinct are difficult to change, but getting help reduces the odds. If you read this email on the show, I want to add that I don't want anyone who has had a dog rehomed or euthanized to feel ashamed by my words. I feel you. No one makes these decisions lightly. Not all homes are right for all dogs, and some dogs have a very poor quality of life because of constant stress. Some dogs just aren't built for our modern world, and recognizing that takes compassion. 
I'm grateful for the people who recognized our dog wasn't a good fit for them and relinquished him to the shelter so he could find us. Their home doesn't sound like a good fit for him either. There's also no shame in simply wanting a companion and not wanting to train every day on every walk while being on constant alert for triggers. Even trainers who do this work for a living deserve pets that are easy to live with. Helping an animal with deep fears and challenging potentially dangerous behaviors takes an emotional toll too. Sorry for such a long downer of an email, but I do think it's an important issue to consider for prospective dog guardians. I'm sure cats can have some of these challenges as well. I just have no experience with it. Thank you for having these important discussions on your show, Katie. No, that wasn't too long of an email. That was a great email. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And I think one aspect of this that um, we didn't get into is the careers that people have made out of helping these animals, Um, pet psychiatrists, behavioral trainers, like these people who dedicate their lives to helping animals. Uh, I think, you know, there's something to be said for taking that on as a job. That being said, Katie, you're also a wonderful person because you are doing this out of love for the animal, out of love for the dog. And yes, you say you are lucky to be able to afford it. Um, But yeah, that was not an email that was too long. That was actually a really important and kind of moving email. Okay, this is an email from Megan. Hi, Gabby. Almost six years ago, I adopted a sweet Siamese mix who was about two years old at the time. In giving me some of her history, the shelter told me she had some teeth pulled. I asked the vet about this and she said some cats just had bad teeth and it happens. I thought about getting pet insurance since I knew she'd need regular dental cleanings and those are expensive because they use anesthesia. Tell me about it. I had to do that for beans. It was so expensive. Anyway, back to the email. But the plants that included dental were always the most expensive and I thought she'd already had teeth pulled. It would be a pre-existing condition. Instead, I just budgeted for the $500 to $600 a year for cleanings and possible extractions. She had another extraction this year and is down to nine teeth. I have two asides. One, I'm very privileged to be able to do this as my spouse and I are childless and both have tech salaries. And two, my cat inexplicably refuses to eat wet foods. She loves gumming her dry food. (laughs) Oh man, I love pets. Anyway, she also had a bladder stone that we found a few years ago and have been trying to dissolve it through her diet. But this week they surgically removed the bladder stone and my bank account is $1,900 lighter. I also have a dog, but she doesn't have any ongoing issues so far and is about to age out of being insurable at six years old. The silliest cost for her has been paying $1 per visit for parking at the dog park we used to walk to because the walk was along a popular bike path and my dog randomly developed a fear of bikes two or so years ago and refused to walk on the path. (laughs) You got some quirky animals. I think pet insurance is a little scammy, but I've never had it. So maybe it is really helpful and I've been missing out. Renting with pets is also a whole thing between pet deposits, upfront fees, and ongoing pet rent. Shouldn't the extra fees and deposits cover the potential extra cleaning slash repair costs from a pet? So pet rent feels really scammy. But I love my little nuggets, and I'm very thankful my spouse and I are lucky enough to be able to care for them and keep them healthy. I pay pet rent for Beans. Beans pays $50 to live at my house. And I wrote an email to my landlord, and I said, Haha, Beans doesn't have a job. I guess I'll have to pay his rent. Guess who didn't write back thinking that was funny? My landlord. Didn't even acknowledge my joke. That's a hilarious joke. Anyway, oftentimes when Beans acts up like peas in the house or something, I'll go, get a job! Just a little joke between me and this dog who can't answer me back. Okay, back to this email from Megan. 
Also, in terms of boarding when we travel, we have a couple friends that my dog can stay with and we'll trade dog sitting. But I have a high percentage of friends with cat allergies, so depending on the length of the trip, we'll either arrange for her to be checked in on once or twice for a weekend away and leave extra food and water, or she gets boarded for longer trips and the current place we go to is $25 a night. We'll have to board my dog for the first time since moving to a new area over Memorial Day and the place we're considering charges $45 a night. For that combined, you could get a pretty nice hotel room. Anyway, back to Megan. Having pets is awesome, but they definitely come with a lot of costs that I didn't necessarily think of before adopting them. Yeah, also, Megan, you have two very funny specific animals. Like, they seem to have a lot of... Like a toothless cat and a dog that's suddenly scared of bikes? Pretty quirky. Okay, here's another voicemail. Hi, Gabby. My name is Marie. She, they. I think... From my experience, pet insurance is a great investment if you get the absolute top of the line pet insurance. I have middle of the road pet insurance and I didn't understand the coverage. When my dog Layla was in the hospital last year, I kept saying, yes, do it. We have pet insurance. Do it, do it, do it. I thought my pet insurance would pay 80% of everything. Turns out the plan I'm on only pays a certain amount for any certain condition So for our $3,000 hospital stay, they paid $680. So that was a rude awakening. Also, prescriptions are a little shady in my opinion. One of the epilepsy pills was going to cost $300 a month. And my pet insurance um, wasn't very transparent about how they could help me. Um, Fortunately, the vet techs at the clinic told me about GoodRx, which makes that prescription $34 a month. If the vet techs hadn't told me about it and I didn't know about it, this pill would, I mean, I'd have to be making some very difficult decisions. And so that's my take on pet insurance. It's worth it if you have excellent pet insurance and get it when your pet is young. Um, Otherwise, people have recommended to me just save the amount that you would pay toward pet insurance every month toward your pet's care. And yeah, don't sleep on GoodRx. Thanks, Gabby. Love the show. Well, wow, we've got some differing opinions here at Bad With Money, uh, which I always appreciate. And yes, GoodRx does apply for uh, medicine for pets and medicine for people. If you didn't know about it already, now you do. Uh, It has provided a lot of really great coupons for me personally and friends of mine in order to get medication at a more affordable price because we live in a dystopian healthcare hellscape here in the United States um, and other countries that don't have universal health care. Okay, here's an email from Sarah. Hi, Gabby. My name is Sarah, they, she, and I adopted a cat in May 2020 as an emotional support animal at the advice of my therapist. Oh, why? Was something going on in 2020 that maybe caused a lot of us to need support? I'm just kidding. Anyway, Sarah continues. I wasn't informed by the shelter until I was signing the paperwork that their preliminary vet appointment had shown that Delilah would need a dental cleaning and possibly extractions. Oh, here we here we go with this dental cleaning stuff. The most expensive thing. Ugh. Okay, I'm so glad two people have mentioned it. Okay, back to Sarah. So in addition to getting pet supplies and the adoption fee, I fully support adoption fees, by the way. Shelters need the money. I also needed to pay for a potentially expensive vet visit. This was originally quoted to me by my vet around 2K. But thankfully, I soon after moved back to my small hometown and ended up paying a little under $1,000 instead at our new vet there. In addition to the cleaning, which they have to do under sedation, she had three extractions. Yup! 
yup, putting them under costs so much money and the extractions cost so much money. Believe me, Beans got like six teeth pulled. It was horrible. Also, just an aside, my brother's dog has wooden teeth. I wonder what that's about. Anyway, Sarah says, I got pet insurance shortly after getting her, which runs me about $30 a month, but it doesn't cover dental care or pre-existing conditions. What is it with pet insurance not covering dental? It's literally one of the most expensive things. Actually, I just answered my own question. Okay, Sarah says, I'm comforted that should an emergency arise, I have a good chance of getting reimbursed, but it was tough that they didn't cover this large expense that I had to shell out for immediately. I do have a friend whose dog kept getting into things he shouldn't have. Their pet insurance saved them from spending thousands of dollars on emergency visits over just a few months. So I know it can be very helpful, but sometimes it does feel like I'm just burning money. Doesn't all insurance feel like that, though? This email ended up a little long, so no worries if you cut some of it, but I just wanted to share my experiences. Why does everyone apologize for long emails, as if, like, I don't need content for this show? Okay, here's an email from a listener who's written in before, I think, called So Nerdy. Hi, Gabby. To start, I wanted to say how much I am loving this season of Bad With Money. The deep dives into controversial and important slash relevant topics are chef's kiss. I worked in a vet clinic as a receptionist and room technician for about four years, and I have had pets of all kinds, mostly dogs, all my 32 years of life. I stepped away from the veterinary career because I hit a point of compassion fatigue that I couldn't overcome. Oh, I hear you. We don't even have time to get into compassion fatigue, but if you don't know what that is and you're listening, look that up because it explains a lot about people in the healthcare profession. Anyway, okay, back to so. Regarding pet care, I want to highlight how important it is to prepare for the unexpected. While pet insurance can help with this, I've personally found it more helpful to reserve a portion of my monthly income for pet expenses. To determine the amount, I listed out the expected expenses for the year. Food, flea and tick and heartworm prevention, dental cleanings, boarding during travel, dog license, annual exam and vaccines, possible emergency, and divided by 12. This will vary for everyone, but I found $200 to $250 per month is ample to cover my dog. If you are someone who is not able to hold on to money when it's sitting in your bank account, it may be beneficial to ask your vet if they accept deposits to your client account with them. That way, you can essentially pay in advance on your schedule for pet care and not have a huge bill at once. Oh, a client account. Putting a deposit into your client account. That's very good advice. Anyway, back to the email. Wow, yes, that's really good advice that no one else mentions here. That is something I'm actually going to check on. Okay, back to the email. Having a pet is a privilege, and sadly, it is definitely one that requires money. I would never tell someone the age-old phrase of, if you can't afford a pet, don't get one, because it reeks of classism. Instead, I would advise everyone to be either financially or emotionally prepared for caring for, or not, a sick and or injured pet. It is not the veterinarian's or the receptionist's fault or responsibility to shoulder the cost of care. If they did everything pro bono, then there would not be any veterinary care available. Obviously, there are bad vets and bad vet clinics, but most are there to help you. They, all the employees, are concerned about your pets as much as you and want to see you all thriving. Basically, don't be a dick either in person or online when difficult decisions have to be made surrounding care and the money barrier to it. Better subsidies, healthcare, socialism, UBI, etc. would provide better and more accessible care for us and our pets. And having pets is a form of self-care for so many of us that it really should be argued to be a right, in my humble opinion. Best, so nerdy. Thank you for writing in from the point of view of someone who has worked in the veterinary field. I really, really, really appreciate that. And thank you for saying that telling people not to have a pet if they can't afford it is classist. Um, 
It reminds me of the way people speak about unhoused people with dogs, uh, which I think is really um, unempathetic and cold. Okay, here's an email from Ziggy. Hi, Gabby. I've recently started listening to your podcast. Shout out to my bestest friend for turning me onto it. And it is so great. I love the way you approach your guests and the people who write in with curiosity and respect. Even when you don't agree with someone, I can tell you're not like, wow, you dumb. You're right, Ziggy. I'm not. (laughs) I love not agreeing with people. Okay, anyway, you asked for stories about pets and money. I am the proud dad of two cats and one Shih Tzu, all of whom came from the same shelter and all of whom I would die for. Obviously. I definitely should have pet insurance, but I don't. My ADHD brain forgets between vet visits. Mary Jane is my pup. She's about six now, but I adopted her with my ex when she was about three. She came from a hoarding situation and had some issues. The Humane Society told us she would need eye drops for her chronic dry eye, but that the skin condition she was facing should clear up with the fancy shampoo they gave us. The next day, we took her to the vet just to make sure we had the right eye drops, and her medical bill for that first visit was $1,000. The special shampoo was not enough. Over the next few months, I probably spent $5,000 on this dog. I would do it again in a heartbeat because she's the love of my life. However, I wish I had been prepared to spend that money. Over the years, she has gotten significantly cheaper. Her skin and eye issues are chronic, though, and will never fully be better. When my ex and I got divorced, I got custody of the three animals, which is great. But it does mean I've been shouldering the cost of their care alone. Actually, I already was. Ooh, spill the tea, Ziggy. You're just like Darcy. You both of you right back in with your family drama. I'd love to hear it. So Ziggy writes, Mary is the best girl and she deserves every penny I have. She's my best friend. She's helped me through the hardest time in my life and never judged me for crying alone on my couch while watching trans before and after videos and drinking beer. I will continue to spend as much money as she needs me to, but I really should get pet insurance. Thanks for all you do, Ziggy. Okay, here's an email from Zoe. Just wanted to share my brief experience with vet bills and conflicted thoughts about pet insurance. Looking forward to this episode. Well, look forward no more, Zoe, because it's happening. Okay, Zoe writes, Last summer, I adopted an adult cat from the local shelter, and ever since, I've been debating whether to get pet insurance. This cat is the best little roommate I could have asked for. But she also had some health issues early on that took me by surprise. Are we sensing a theme here, people? Everyone's taken by surprise. (laughs) Okay, back to Zoe. Over this past year, my cats needed four vet visits, costing about $600 in total. Luckily, she's doing well after some small changes to help with asthma, probable food allergies, and chin acne infections. But I worry about the future asthma flares and whether there is a more urgent issue going on in the background. After looking into pet insurance options, the annual deductibles seemed about equal to the expenses I've run into. Then I also found anecdotes on Reddit of people having their eligible claims denied. Outside of that, insurance does seem worth the peace of mind, when one expensive vet bill could cost more than a decade of paying $20 a month. For now, I have a savings bucket for future vet visits, but maybe I should be putting some of that toward insurance? Very interested in hearing others' experiences, Zoe. Well, Zoe, you just heard a bunch of people's experiences, Uh, so let me know if any of that was helpful to you. Now I'm going to close out with two Discord comments from you guys about pet insurance. And then we're going to end our episode uh, with me saying some nice things about my dog and my parents' cat, which used to be my cat. So I don't read your username on Discord unless you tell me I'm allowed to. So this person wrote, I have an older shelter cat and the pet insurance was a total waste of money. Because I didn't have her medical history from when she was at the shelter, they denied me every time. Took me longer to cancel than I'm willing to admit, lol. This was with pet plan. Ooh, call him out, call him out. Okay, this person writes about pet insurance. 
I have it, Pet Partners, and it's like $40 a month for my cat, which is obviously in general less expensive than people insurance. But I still had to pay for like half of my cat's larger bills when she wouldn't use the litter box for two years, and we had to do a ton of exams, urinalysis, fecal samples, etc. Also with my policy, behavioral visits aren't covered, so it got confusing as to whether these litter box-related visits would be covered. I can't tell if it is worth it, but someone else had suggested to me simply to put that $40 a month into a savings account just for the cat instead to be ready when larger bills come up. Okay, so as we can tell at the end of this episode, (sighs) people have different opinions about this. What a shock here at Bad With Money. Um, So before we go, thank you so much for writing in um, and thank you so much for calling in and thank you so much for loving your pets and loving your animals and sharing their stories with me and sharing all the advice you've learned over the years. Um, I want to say that uh, I currently do not have pet insurance, knock on wood, for my dog Beans. Um, He is an older dog. Like when I got him, I thought he was three. It turned out he was actually probably five or six So he has some more advanced medical problems than I anticipated. And I love him so much. Like I've joked, this is a terrible joke, but I have joked that if they ever have to put him down, I will tell the vet to take me as well. And I'm sure if you guys have listened to my other show, Just Between Us, you've heard me say that probably a couple times. So I completely understand the amount of emotional investment there is in keeping your furry, scaly, feathered, hairy, whatever babies safe um so thank you for writing in we didn't really hear from anyone who owns a lizard or a bird so please write in and i'll include it in my mailbag episodes would love to hear some stuff about birds and lizards thank you so much to everyone for sharing your stories i hope you liked this episode that was all listener stories if you do tell me i would love to hear from you also send me a suggestion for another listener stories episode we could do is there a topic that you think a lot of people would write in about i would love to hear it you can email me at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. Join our online communities too. We're on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. Don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. Also, leave me a five-star Apple review. I think four of you did this week, which is amazing. Four in one week is so cool. Thank you so much. And again, if you have another idea for a listener story episode, please, please email me and let me know. I would love to do more of these and I hope you guys liked it. Okay, bye. Done. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.